and welcome to Margin Call, the podcast and editorial meeting for Quest On Media. I'm your host, Russell Morris. Now, I don't know if you can hear it in the intro, but Eming has once again stepped up her producer responsibilities, and we are now getting a visual cue about when to intro the show. I've never felt more official, more legit than I just did right now, getting pointed at by our fearless producer, Eming Piancai. Shout out for that point. That was exactly yep. the right time. Thank you. Excellent work. Excellent. You. Uh, welcome uh, to all of our listeners. I would like to start off by introducing our guest. I want to give a little bit of context, but you all know him if you've listened to the show before. Our guest today is Travis, who is our political correspondent, although often our conversations veer off in different directions, or as Travis likes to say, sometimes we point the gun in a different direction. <laughs> Uh, quite an analogy. So let me just start off by welcoming you, Travis. Thanks so much for being here. We've missed you. I missed you. So much has happened. So much has happened. That's why this show is important. I want to let our listeners know that when Travis and I first saw each other, when we were just kind of like warming up and getting ready for the show today, I was being foolish and naive and optimistic. And I said, Travis, um, you know, how are you feeling? I feel like you would be feeling better. Uh, and, but Travis, that, that was not the case. My, my, my argument was, okay, whatever. We got a new president. Since the last time we saw each other, we got a new president. We got a vaccine. We got, you know, people going on, um, you know, dates with strangers and crowding into bars and, you know, life is changing. Uh, it seems like there are a lot of opportunities for optimism. Uh, and and yet you might have a little bit of pushback on that. Travis, you want to just point the gun that direction? I'm never going to say one shouldn't have optimism. Optimism and hope are the point. I'm just not in an optimistic mood today. I'm just, my bar is I'm alive. So great. That's an optimism. That's an optimism. Um, assuming I'm a 2021 you, fine. Assuming that someone enjoys being alive, because that is yeah. there is a bit of an assumption think, there. All right. It beats the alternative, I think. So that is a little bit of helpful context for me, because this doesn't just mean you've been feeling like uh, I'm alive since the last time we saw each other. There probably were some highs and lows in between. Uh, the amount of things that have transpired since the last time we saw each other. Hard to keep track. Yeah. I want to, for the sake of our conversation, try and hit like a few specific points. Start off with, um, you know, democracy, elected officials, politics, as it relates to social justice. I'll, I'll frame it very briefly this way. We had many, many conversations last year about social justice, about race, about criminal justice and race, about police brutality, police murders um, and the response, right? Which no matter how you look at it, society feels very different when we talk about race and criminal justice. Uh, there are some good things there. There are some things to be unpacked, but it was a very, very significant shift. And I would like to talk today about how that re-examination of race and criminal justice and social justice has or has not shaped uh, our democracy in recent elections, starting with um, Joe Biden, who I understand is president now. Uh, and <laughs> I don't know. That's the last I heard. <laughs> I don't I don't see him very much. Yeah, at the end of that yeah. trilogy. Yeah. He <laughs> won the throne. Yeah. Allegedly. Allegedly. There are some people who think he didn't win the throne and that the throne is still in play. 
Yes. Um, oh, it's Game of Thrones. And, and the one other piece I just want to say, and this is the direction we're pointing the gun. Uh, uh, Travis, you and I are both in New York City. We recently had an election for district attorney, which obviously uh, will have a big impact on how we think about criminal justice in this city and, you know, perhaps in the rest of the country. And um, it looks like we're going to have a new mayor. So I, I am interested in framing this conversation about progress or no progress or, you know, social justice uh, as it relates now to the democratic process. So feel free to start wherever you like. I think that you referred to democracy. Was it a hoax or a sham? I forget what word you used. I don't actually even remember. I listen like millions of people. I am thrilled that 45 is no longer in the White House. I was wondering what word you were going to use because sometimes yeah, where was I gonna go? Um, <laughs> that he's no longer in the White House and that we have like an, a grown up. Mm-hmm. In the Oval Office, very, very, very grown up. Uh, yeah, he's <laughs> been an adult for a very long be. time, <laughs> a very experienced adult. Season. Um, yeah, and I sort of think that what that's, I would say, return to like a type of sanity. Um, what it highlights for me, though, is I think people thought that like Biden would get into the White House and then like everything was sort of like go back and like reason would be the order of the day. Um, But I think what I see is, um, what I think of is like a terrifying mobilization of the right. Like I don't experience them as defeated. I don't experience them as unable to take back the White House. I don't experience them as unable to take back Congress. Um, I actually feel a little bit of fatigue from people who I will generally call progressives, Democrats, people on the left, I think. there is still somehow this ability to underestimate the ability of very racist, very uninformed, uh, very homophobic people to win elections and win the ability to make decisions about everyone's life um, and to sort of like organize in a way that respects like the like to my opinion, the Democrats like owe so much of their current success to progressives, and there's still sort of like this fight of like how centrist can we be? Um, like we need to like reach across the aisle. When across the aisle, Mitch McConnell is like fuck the other side of the aisle. <laughs> I'm paraphrasing, but like not by much. Yeah, like yeah, that is sort of the like close. not working with you on anything not chaos no and we're still sort of like trying to figure out a way like a shared value and i'm like okay that's at some point you have to recognize um the limits of that and i don't think that we i don't think that we've collectively understood the limits of this desire to work with like a Marjorie Taylor Greene or a Matt Gates, like, or anyone who like, like, why, why am I appealing to that? I don't, what, what common ground do you think I would find there? And why are you even looking for it? I think um, we've, we've seen, I mean, just one quick point before I turn this around and ask you to develop. I think we've seen the, the common ground, which uh, seems to be pork, right? Like infrastructure bill. People are like, oh, 
yeah, trillions of dollars, not too many trillions. Don't take it. Don't take it from rich people. Maybe like one trillion instead of three trillion and make sure that you, you know, build a highway through this district. And you know what I mean? Like they, they've got they really laid down their arms to try and figure out how they could, you know, uh, get a pork chop on the griddle. You know what I mean? Yes. <laughs> Which is that what it takes? I don't know. I don't think an infrastructure bill is bad. You know, these are all things that people need. And, you know, Biden had different uh, considerations in there. But uh, that seems to be the thing that they can agree on if it's the only thing, you know, my, I feel my, like they aren't, I feel like the strat here's what I think. I may have said this on the show before, but it's totally my theory. There is at least a third of this nation, at least a third of this nation, um, who would burn the entire country to the ground rather than see what we would call progress. And so I am not convinced that even offering them a pork chop on the grill um, <laughs> will do it because I, they intend, because they don't have, like our core value is progress. That is not their value. And they're like, we could survive a burning. Y'all can't. So we might, just be willing to burn it all to the ground. Light it up. Um, rather than see something other than white supremacy be the organizing principle of this country, we'd rather burn it to the ground. My only counter to that is that I think that there is a distinction between the one third of people who are happy to burn it down rather than see people of color and queer people be happy or whatever. Um, Existing. Existing, you know, maybe the way you said it is better. Give giving any ground on white supremacy and not handing anything over. Let's burn it down. You know, you, you're gonna take your ball and go home. You know what I mean? Yeah, <laughs> like, <laughs> all the marbles. I'm taking all my marbles and I'm yes. going. <laughs> but I think, and I think, you know, there are a lot of ways to unpack why those people feel that way. Whatever, that's less interesting. But I think that they believe those things, which is yeah. to me has a, a a sliver more integrity than a group of people who are elected officials who don't even really have that belief system, but they know that the only way they can appeal to people other than billionaires is to just like find those racist, homophobic people and get them fired up. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. I, I, I would prefer the genuinely racist, homophobic person to the person who's like, damn, how am I going to stay well, in you're office? You're in the right place because you've got <laughs> both of those. You know what Emmy and I were talking about right before you came on? Um, the building collapse in Florida um, and the story sort of like spilling out about how that happens, right? Um, and how like quickly, like it wasn't even sort of like a hidden thing. It was sort of like, oh, we like publicly know that to save money, corners were cut, bills weren't passed that would require people to fix up building, buildings to a certain degree. And like, and sort of my point being, I think we've reached a point where even sort of well off people are willing to like fuck themselves like save a buck to like maintain power and like if that's true if like that's true if you're like not even willing to like keep retired grandparents buildings standing (laughs) what hope what hope is there for the queer folk you know what i mean like why are we trying to find common ground with you from the perspective of a true like small government conservative who loves corporations and money and stuff like that, I, I think a building falling down uh, and people dying 
is the equivalent lots of, of people, lots of, of people, lots of people dying is the equivalent of like collateral damage. You know, it's like, yeah. oh, we've been we've been deregulating for, you know, decades and decades. One building. Do you know what I mean? Like right. it's, it's, to me, it's similar I'm to saying, if you think I'm about think, I'm saying you and I know that because normally the collateral damage are communities that we care about. I think the people in that building are sort of also like the collateral damage are like those folks. And now it's like, oh, wait, we are also we have allowed ourselves to be collateral damage. And there's not like an outcry. There's not like, oh, we, this might be what they're talking about, guys. This might be the stuff. (laughs) Yeah. When they're like, oh, we should spend money, like it matters that we spend money on things like this. I think this is what they're talking about. Although, I mean, this might be comparable if you really think about who gets affected and where change comes from. I always think about the example from the civil rights movement where every day on TV, you know, little girls with fire hoses, you know, black girls in the South, you know, young people in the South uh, and people were like, ah, you know, we should pay attention to this thing. But people were truly mobilized after Kent State um, when, you know, some white college kids got killed. Right. And in some ways, people in the civil rights movement were like, wow, that's that's a horrible tragedy. But that's what it, you know, that's what it took for, you know, white America to pay attention. I don't get the sense that this tragedy in Miami is that same thing. But uh, when the collateral damage and so spills end, over. I mean, it's sort of like the question, like when I think part of my fatigue and part of my like I'm fineness is like, where will, what's the rock bottom, right? Because it's not mass shootings. It's not, um, it's not insurrections. <laughs> it's not buildings falling on grandparents. So like where, where like, and I think my greater point is I don't think there is a bottom. So we need to stop waiting for the bottom. We need to stop yeah. waiting for the common ground because there isn't one because they'll this... burn the country to the ground rather than share. And I, I actually feel like they've been clear on that. Like they're not like, they're not like leading us on. <laughs> they're yeah. like, no, we will yeah. literally burn this shit to the ground rather than share power. I am intrigued by this idea of no bottom. Uh, and it reminds me of where the country uh, that had slavery for four centuries. There's no bottom, guys. <laughs> Wait, I mean, you could go back. You go backwards, you know. Right. That's the bottom. Well, let me just say, because I think this is a relevant point. Long, long time ago, I went to visit uh, someone in the hospital and I was with someone, a friend, and they were like, oh, we should get some flowers, you know, to bring to this the person in the hospital. And the flowers in the gift shop um, of the hospital were just insanely expensive. They were like, really old and ugly and nasty and like $35 for a little nasty bouquet. And my friend who I was with is like, oh, that's awful. You know, everybody who's here is sad. They're visiting someone because they're not well, you know, and here you are exploiting, you know, like this is just awful. How could, you know, how could we allow this to happen? Whatever the question is. And, and, and my response was, I didn't even think about it. And the point of the story is not that I said something clever, although a little bit it is. Uh, that uh, there is no, I said, there is no basement in the house of greed. Do you know what I mean? (laughs) Like it, that seems despicable. And then if you want to go further down, you could say like, oh yeah, cutting corners and then eventually killing grandparents. You know, I like to think of, um, you know, maybe the BP oil spill in the uh, Gulf of Mexico or even Exxon, you know, it'd be like, oh man, the oil industry is really going to have to reevaluate and the way we feel about, no, nothing. The Gulf was on fire. Yeah. And there it was nobody burning water. thinks about that anymore. Burning swirl of oil and yeah. oil, not even sort of blinking. 
Yeah. Like a revelation, like a St. John divine level of apocalyptic mm-hmm. imagery. And then we were like, damn, all right, well, got to go fill my like tank. If that were a biblical sign. God is like, what else? What else? Yeah. What else? What I set water I on to fire to, to wake you people up. Do I need to start a TikTok? God is going to have to do a TikTok dance <laughs> to turn this around. I could see him doing that. Because the burning, swirling ocean didn't do this. Okay. Can we point the gun in the direction of TikTok really quickly? Not because I have yeah. something bad to say, but we're just using that metaphor about where we're going. Sure. It, because it relates to the apocalypse. Uh, I don't know this, you know, this song that everybody's uh, been like uh, duetting. You know that I'm very old, right? Yeah. This, Can you be more specific what, about which song? Well, I was going to be, and then you guys interrupted me. Okay. <laughs> There's the one that goes, uh, Oh, girl, it's you that I lie with. When the atom bomb starts to fall, you guys don't know this song? No. Okay. So it is a song about, it sounds, I don't know what the exact meaning is, but it sounds like a love song uh, taking place in the apocalypse, right? Mm -hmm. Like basically like, you're the one that I lay with when the atom bomb starts to fall. You know, you're the one that I want to watch TV with. And it reminded me one, because TikTok is kind of a Gen Z scene for the most part, um, of this like apocalyptic minded generation, like a kind of a Gen Z, like if it's not climate change, it's going to be, you know, like if you think about what, what they've experienced, that song has become the most popular song on TikTok. Everybody's duetting with everybody else or doing parodies. Yeah. It's a beautiful song. I encourage people to look it up, but I think there's something there generationally about like you and I have enough perspective, I think to say like, well, here's, here's what Reagan did. That was pretty messed up, you know, crack. And then like, well, you know, maybe crack's kind of gone now, you know, uh, or whatever. We can just see a lot of pendulum swings, but if you're a 15 year old person, the only things that are happening is that the earth is catching fire. Mm-hmm. Um, and, All the time. and everybody's dying from a virus like that's it. Yep. those are the only two events that you have perspective on yep. and i'm very it, it makes me very sad to see how you know and not apocalyptic but yeah it's like why all like teen lit is like post-apocalyptic they're like this we are <laughs> yes. preparing you yeah. <laughs> there will be hunger games so there study. will be hunger games what yeah. district make your way to a district now <laughs> yeah, yeah. Uh, in any case, I, I encourage you to look up that song because I am I'm very interested in what it is like to be a 15 year old person right now. Um, let me try and I guess tie in our democratic process. Can we just talk for a second about Biden? Right. We elected okay. Biden. We just, we we you know, as a country, we decided, OK, Biden should be president. Uh, he's been there for a while, or, you know, more or less, that's what happened. Or, or I'll jump to the end. Biden is now the president. <laughs> However, yes. it happens. It occurred. <laughs> it occurred. How um, much racism is too much racism, guys? Um, never enough. This, uh, is, what, this uh, is where we'll uh, land, is Biden. Our, our cup runneth over. <laughs> mm-hmm. We have to appeal to the racist yeah. somehow, Biden. Uh, that's true. But there have also been, I don't know what the right word is, and maybe I'm being naive or overly optimistic again, some surprising turns from Biden. And I'm thinking most recently of uh, Juneteenth, you know, making Juneteenth. It's symbolic. What does that really mean? How is that helping people? Blah, blah, blah. But symbols are important. And that's not something that would have happened. You know, that's not something Obama could have done. And it's not, you know, what does I mean, it's is that just like vote for me again next time, black people? Or is it like this is important? For sure. (laughs) One hundred percent. Look what I did for you people. Um, But and symbols are important, but symbols 
with a resistance to actual work are just symbols. Like, it, like on no agenda was federal Juneteenth. Like on no agenda was Black yeah, Lives nobody Matter. Was even asking. Nobody was even no, asking. Like, that. that was not like a thing. We were like, y'all don't know about Juneteenth. That's just kind of thing white people don't know about. Fine. Yeah. We like black people were fine with that. We were yeah. not like our culture is like yeah. we were like fine. Get I'm it. a little afraid that Juneteenth is gonna become like St. Patrick's Day or Cinco Perhaps. de Mayo or absolutely you know what I mean? Will. Where it's just like another um, excuse to get wasted. Will. Hopefully there's no black face involved, but you know what? Maybe a dashiki or something and like doing shots in the dashiki. But what it sort of revealed to me, again, because um, it is performative, right? And so that's what politics, so fine, because that's what politics is. But it's sort of like even the, like the backlash against making it a federal holiday, right? Like there was that, there was that criticism of like, why do we have two Independence Days? And for me, the greater question, the actual question, like if we were an intelligent country would be, how haven't we been celebrating the end of chattel slavery? How has not every American been like, this is the day that we liberated the last American citizen from illegal human servitude? Ain't that fucking great? How, let's have all the holidays. Let like Harriet Tubman's birthday. Like, why aren't we all on that shit, right? The only reason you wouldn't be celebrating that is because you're not happy about it. Yeah, there's no other. There's no other. Re- like if America was the country that it thought it was, the outcomes for black people would actually be like the measure of your greatness. Yeah. How are black people, the people that we created a cast for and put them at the lowest? How are they two centuries out? Because that would be the marker for like how great we're doing as a country. Yeah. And, and we're going to like celebrate not- that. To not be excited about it, uh, in, in your words, or to paraphrase to you from angry. earlier, there are would people be, who are angry about Juneteenth being a even being holiday. lukewarm about it. Even being lukewarm about it indicates what you're talking about, which is this feels like an encroachment on white supremacy. I don't like that. And then there's the other point, which is if we celebrate the end of slavery too hard, it'll it'll be it'll be that much harder to there's go a back. Downside. Yeah. It's like there's a downside. <laughs> You guys celebrate me into slavery too hard. Re- reel it in. Yeah. I, you know, it's it's one example. Again, it's symbolic. I do think, and, you know, I don't know the infrastructure bill well enough or what Biden is asking for, but I have seen some indications that there's a lot of money reserved in there for developing communities of color, um, which is not symbolic, which is meaningful, which is actually like kind of creating infrastructure and jobs and stability in communities that historically haven't had it. That seems meaningful. That's not the kind of thing that you see very often in a federal infrastructure bill. Does that mean anything to you or is this kind of just another? Yeah, I'm I'm listen, I'm someone who voted for Biden because I felt like he was the person who would move the needle, however slowly in the direction that I think this country needs to go in. And there are some ways in which, yeah, I'm very proud of, here's what I think I mean. I think I'm very happy with some of the levels of discourse and some of the conversations that are being had at the federal level that like we wouldn't have seen, certainly not with the Trump or even whatever, that you wouldn't have seen before. Um, I recognize though, that a lot of that came from immense amounts of pressure, right? Like this is this is this that little bit 
and I think that is like an incremental move. But like the just that we're talking about it, right? Is like that's like a lot of pressure. And I'm very thrilled about that. But I also recognize the savvy and power and appeal of the opposition. Do you understand what I mean? And so I'd like I, though I'm like very happy about like where progressives have found themselves in this moment, though fatigued that like it took this much energy to get progressives to this point. Um, I'm still like hyper aware that like that's not a slam dunk. Like, and even if you offer up a bill that benefits everyone, there's going to be opposition to it just because they don't want to give you, they don't want those communities helped and they don't want you to succeed, right? And so I'm very grateful that like we are moving the progressive conversation forward and getting things passed, but there's such um there are people willing to hurt themselves to keep those gains from happening. Do you understand what I mean? And I feel yeah. like that, um, I don't feel like the conversations that are happening take that into account. I still feel like there, it's this like logical appeal of like us all coming together. And I'm like, that is not the moment we're in. We are not divided accidentally. There are people who are like, I am not at all coming to a table where equity and inclusion is a value. And so for me, the strategy has to be, um, and you're not gonna change those people. And so for me, the strategy, what I need to hear more of is how are we going to achieve these things in the face of opposition? Real, intentional, um, powerful, supported opposition. Um, Because this sort of like naive, way that we're force gumping forward um, <laughs> does not appeal to me in my middle age. How how is is this naive uh progress uh akin to Forrest Gump? I'm just curious. It's just sort of like these good things happen as he's just like running along. <laughs> <laughs> he, just, he just falls um, into like because he means well yeah. and he's in the right place <laughs> at the right time, no matter the intentions of other people, it like all works out. Yeah. I mean, he just sort of like the all shuts and believes in folks. I'm like, that's great, but that's not the moment we're in. I don't think that's the moment we're in. I'm not sure we were ever in that moment, but I know right now we are not in that moment. We're not uh, in that moment. I, I don't want to linger on Forrest Gump too long, but I do think it's relevant you, to say. Is there, is there, too, <laughs> is there too long to linger? It, I couldn't think of a movie that is more emblematic, indicative, illustrative of the nature of um, white privilege, you know? Like the idea that you could be um, from a very, you know, single parent, very poor uh, town in Alabama, uh, uh, physically compromised, he had trouble with his legs, and then, you know, mildly uh, compromised in terms of his mental faculties and still go on to be, you know, purple heart, billionaire, biggest shrimp company, invest in Apple. Do you know what I mean? Like (laughs) if you talk about the disposability of a life, like he was really just, he was one fragment away from just being like, not making it past six. 
You know what I mean? Like, because <laughs> like, he had a lot of challenges, right? And yes. I acknowledge that. But he had one thing that was not challenging, and that was his whiteness. And that's what got him to shake hands yeah. with JFK, LBJ, you know, Tom and everybody Ellis else. Had a dance, like a whole, yeah, yeah. Like a whole, <laughs> well, that, now we're getting into a Back to the Future conversation. Uh, that sets me up perfectly for a transition to our next topic, which now that we've discussed kind of a federal level examination of our values and social justice and what has or has not changed, let's talk about the local. Uh, Travis mm-hmm. and I are both in New York City um, <clears throat> on June 22nd. New York City voters went to polls, some of them at least, uh, to vote for not necessarily a new mayor. It was just a Democratic primary, but pretty much mm-hmm. like whoever wins the Democratic primary is going to be mayor. So basically voting for a new mayor um, and a new district attorney, which in some ways is a more interesting race uh, in terms of our conversations here, um, because almost every candidate for district attorney was a reform minded person or at least said things that a reform minded person would say, (laughs) excuse me. Um, And also it's such a big, you know, it's like de Blasio was just kind of like, we're just going to forget about him. He was only mayor for a little short time and that was pretty weird. And now we have a new mayor, but, but Cy Vance, who has been the district attorney of, uh, or for Manhattan, at least for God over 30 years, really put his stamp on when we talk about like mass incarceration and like who sets policies that ends up with whatever people of color being over incarcerated or, you know, all the things that we talk about, we talk about problems in the criminal justice system. He's out, you know, he's out. And some of the candidates were intensely reform minded. And the person who ended up getting elected is, although he was a prosecutor for a long time, is a very intensely reform minded person. Genuinely, I believe Uh, I'm curious. Again, I am being optimistic The mayoral race. We can talk about in a second because it's to me, it's a lot weirder in some ways. But let's talk a little bit about the district attorney's race. It's am I being naive to say, wow. We, you know, people on the left did all this work to be like, this is wrong. Criminal justice system is racist. It kills people. It over incarcerates people of color. Uh, People listened. These people ran for district attorney. And this is what change looks like. Like, am I is that a misrepresentation in some ways? No, I I think that is absolutely a reason to be optimistic. I think that is a direct response to people taking to the streets, all sort of like the conversations we've been having, the demonstrations that have been happening, um, a lot of, also, frankly, a lot of lawsuits. Like, I can't think of a more sued criminal justice system, successfully sued criminal justice system than New York City's. Um, so it it is a culmination of, like, so many things not working um, to the detriment of the city itself um, on a number of levels. That, like, I think people are just in the citizens of New York, I think, are up for something new. Um, so I think that appeals to people. So, yeah, I think that's a reason. I think that's absolutely a reason to be hopeful. It's in some ways. I, but uh, I, that said, um, maybe not that said, but in addition to, like, the DA is an absolute critical part of like how a city or any sort of entity prosecutes, right? Like they set the agenda, right? Um, With sort of an interplay between the mayor's office, 
who the mayor makes head of police, right? Because that's really who, like the mayor is really who like where it rolls from. Um, so it's really how those people work together that I yeah. think will be interesting to see. Which sets me up nicely for our conversation about the mayor. There were a lot of candidates also, even for New York City, very, very progressive. Correct. Uh, Platform-wise. Yeah. Uh, including our former boss. Um, oh, yeah. Including our former boss. <laughs> uh I think there was a lot of optimism among uh, progressive people for a lot of those candidates. Um, and since we have listeners all over the world, I won't like go down the list and name, you know, like right. get get lost in the minutia. But the majority of candidates, first of all, were either women or people of color or both, yeah. which is very, very interesting. Uh, There's like one white guy at the bottom of the list, um, which was exciting in its own way. And pretty much every platform started with criminal justice reform and it started with racial justice. Um, And then the person who got elected, Mm -hmm. uh, we learned this today, is someone I really don't know how to represent this in a way that sets you up to talk about it however you want to. Um, Quite possibly the least progressive person in that on the bunch. side yeah, yeah. on the progressive side yeah so yeah. you know i don't i don't i did my research but i don't know we got biden <laughs> yeah we got biden that's we what did. happens we did that's biden. absolutely we got biden um <laughs> we got biden that's a good point yeah that's a good point that's so, not, what happened. Not, so here so yeah it's an interesting thing because here's what I think happened in New York, or from my perspective as a New York voter, what happened is a lot of us went to the polls last time for mayor or time before, whatever. Then we were getting a very progressive person. And we got, because that was the platform he ran on. Mm-hmm. And for me, de Blasio is like the most disappointing vote I've ever cast in wow. life. Um, wow. I feel like he... Maryland is not the worst mayor. Like, this city still exists. Um, <laughs> but, like... You mean the, the, the discrepancy between promise and delivery, maybe, is, is that where you're... Is, even for a politician... People were fired up about de Blasio. Yeah, because, he, I mean, he trotted out that black son. Like, he got... Like, he understood... He did. He really liked commercial. to talk a lot about Afro, having a black, black wife son, and black children. My kids yeah. are afraid of the police. We had the talk, like he ran those ads, and I, I'm not like I don't want to be like in. I don't want to say like police relationships with communities worsened under him, but I don't think that's an exaggeration. Like there was no leadership from him forward on those issues. I think. I think the moment he got a little bit of pushback from police, he absolutely caved to the point of becoming insensitive and not taking sort of like any actions. And I don't know if any sort of, like he tells himself of having, having improved those relationships. I do not see that. Um, I'm not going to say that he did like other, like whatever. I just like disappointing in terms of like leadership ability. Um, yeah. And so that seems I to be think, the problem. I think then a lot of conservatives in the city, they're not a lot, but they're pockets of conservative places in New York City sort of 
look at him and say, if that's a progressive, like point to him and say, see your see your progressive God. <laughs> like, is this your God? You know, they look at him and say, like, what a fucking failure this is. Um, but in New York City, there's no, not since, or like maybe even like, has there been like a Republican who can like take, who, who could command oh. like local politics to be mayor? Like who, right? And so like, you, you just sort yeah, of like you would have to be a Bloomberg. Right. So you are sort yeah. of understand that like the Democrat is going to run it, right? And so with de Blasio out of the running, I think a lot of people stepped to the table with the understanding that they needed to be, have a platform that was far more progressive, um, but credibly so um, in the wake of de Blasio. Um, because a lot of local politics have gotten, I mean, like an AOC has arisen in New York politics since de Blasio came to office, right? And like has been successful, has like delivered some big wins for her constituents where people are like, oh, these things can happen. Um, But I also think that there's this thing that occurs on the left. It's always this battle of like, you can have all the progressive people, but they want like the safe bet, the person who who they think And maybe that's valid. Maybe like I shouldn't just like make Biden a verb. Like maybe um, <laughs> no, I'm, I'm, I'm good with it. Maybe sort of like, you know, there is because I'm the person who's like, fuck the police. Like, why do we need to fucking work with them? Like, <laughs> but like that's in a way naive and childish. And so someone who has um, a command of that world, maybe that's useful. I don't think so. You're talking um, about Adams. You're talking about Adams, the person who actually was, uh, is now the Democratic candidate and will be the mayor, who is a former police officer, but still like a progressive person yes. and, a, and a black man. I think it's important yes. to know. Yeah. From Brooklyn, right? Like, yeah. Allegedly. Yeah. I mean, I understand that position, but it is, it is kind of a Biden or what they used to call like Clinton triangulation. You know what I mean? Like, I'm a little bit of this, a little bit of that. I could work with these people and then stab them in the back. Or You know what I mean? Yeah. Uh, although I don't see that being a Dixiecrats. <clears throat> yeah. Yeah. There's a little bit of Dixiecrat energy there. I just wonder, I mean, there are a few different things. Like, I, first of all, in terms of de Blasio, I never got the sense that the problem with him was the agenda. I felt like when he was running for mayor the first time, I really, really liked all of his language. I liked his platform and it really felt like, yeah, let's go a different I direction. Him from... bold. I would have called him bold yeah. in his first campaign. Yeah. yeah. And certainly for the time, do you know what I mean? Like yeah. uh, the world has, has changed a lot since he was elected mayor. My issue or concern about him was his inability to get things done that stemmed from being a person who uh, seemed unable to push back against other powerful entities. Do you know what I mean? And and I'll use a phrase hey. that a friend of mine used, uh, which said, you know, what did she say? New York City is a is a top town and we got a bottom mayor. That's that's what my friend said. Uh, which, you know, again, analogies are helpful. So it kind of helped me to realize like that's true. He I believe that he's a good person with uh, you know, a good moral compass, but you know, you go to the police union and they're going to be like, no, fuck you. And then right. you'd be like, like, when you you'd be like, oh, you're right. You're your right. Son was afraid of the police. <laughs> did you think the police union was going to be like, welcome? 
Yeah. Let's talk yeah. about that. Let's have exactly. a healing circle. <laughs> talk yeah. about why that is. Can we restore your son's faith in us? Is that what is that how you imagine yeah. the first meeting yeah. with police was gonna go? I mean, also the extent to which he was just r- regularly dehumanized by Cuomo. Like demoralized, oh. dehumanized, like like emasculated. Their contest was embarrassing. It wasn't a pissing contest. It, it was just Cuomo pissing all over de Blasio. Right. Right. It was just <laughs> and then de Blasio was like, hold on, my flight's stuck. Shower. Yes, exactly. Right. <laughs> Can we use that as the headline? A non-consensual gold shower. Right. That is exactly <laughs> that how, it, how it looks. Because they argue in the paper over everything. And the, yeah. like, even with like, oh. Yeah. So does that mean then that somebody like Adams, to your point, is like tough enough that uh, even if there's some compromise there, he's the person who can push through some of what he's actually saying? Although my impression of uh, Garcia uh, was pretty like she was going to get things done. You know what I mean? Like she ran the sanitation department. She's not taking no for an answer. Like she she had like a, a attitude that was ready to get things done in New York City, and I appreciate that. I almost feel like it's the opposite Mm. with Adams. I feel, here's my prediction, and I hope I'm wrong. I actually hope I'm wrong on this, but I don't think I am. I think New York City police officers, it's like the most powerful union, the unions, fraternities. It's like the most powerful collection of fraternities. So I don't see... Um, I think what we're going to see is more of more compromises than progressives are comfortable with and him selling it to us with his, as a Black man living in New York City, if I'm fine with this, <laughs> you should be yeah. too. If I'm okay with this. Yeah. Yeah. You and he fine. can start because every, can start every sentence fight. that way. Yeah. yeah. That's sort of how I don't I don't think I don't think that he's going to be like he's certainly not defending you know what I mean? Like I don't think that like that's happening. I also don't get the sense that he is a person who is guided by a conviction. Do you know what I mean? Like this was kind of uh, I'm trying to think of other examples. I I really got the sense that, you know, someone whatever, I, I use Garcia as an example. I feel like Captain Garcia believed all that stuff Correct. and thinks it's really important and is going to do her best to get it done. And even if she has to make compromises, whatever, you know, and, and I get the sense that Eric Adams has more of a like what's polling. You know what I mean? Like, what do people care about? Like, really just watching the numbers and be like, all right, let me put together like a little George Floyd platform, you know, to appeal to this group of people. And because the most important thing to me is being mayor. It's not, you know, addressing these social issues, which I think was a concern that a lot of people had uh, not to go into ancient history, but like kind of a Hillary Clinton thing, which was like, what are your convictions? You know what I mean? Like when it's popular to put you know, black kids in jail, you're good with it. And then when it's not popular, you don't like it anymore, you know? Right. Uh, and I kind of get that sense from, from Eric Adams too. But then I'm like, what, what do you, what is important to you? And what are we in for? It like, it, it raises my corruption concern. Do you know what I mean? Right. <laughs> Which is a completely separate one. It's like, I don't have any convictions. I just want to be powerful so that I can kind of get what I want. But again, the man just got the nomination. I don't know enough about him to say that. These are just impressions. Uh, but I, uh, I I don't want to say I was disappointed. It could have been worse, I suppose. It still could be worse. You know, the guy who started the Guardian Angels is uh, running for the Republican nomination. Yes. 
He lives in my neighborhood, Curtis Silva. He, I see him walking around all the time, He's still, still wearing his beret. <laughs> yes. I mean, I wasn't going to use that word about my neighbor, but yes, he, uh, I mean, here's, here's what doesn't fit for me. He is a person who is completely fixated on public safety with a level of concern that is left over from the 1970s when there really was a very serious problem with violence right. in New York City. That doesn't exist anymore, right? There's some no. concerns. Here not any community whatever. he's going to. No, that's true. Yeah. Uh, so did you read an article I don't, about him and his cats? I did not read about him and his cats. I'm, exactly. I'm not even going to describe it to you. I'm not even going to describe it, it to you. Google it yourself. <laughs> a candidate for mayor of New York City, there is an article about the number of cats that he and his wife have and how essentially it's a full-time job. Um, He's a pet hoarder. Do with the calendar. Oh, all right. Well, that's, I, that's all I am telling. That's you. all I needed to. That's basically clickbait right there. I forget the number of litter boxes they have in their small apartment. Mm. Oh no, three maybe. Did it <laughs> say which brand there. they use? No, <laughs> I feel like three is a small number. That they maybe it's six that they empty three times a day. Oh, Jesus. Jesus. Shit. Or three that they empty six times a day. Either way, I'm just saying that New York politics is such that an entire article was written about the Republican candidates' cats. Uh, and that's what I'll be looking up moments that's how after we get out of here. The New York media is taking him as a candidate. Yeah. That hard well, interview. He's got a poster hanging in the bodega on the corner. So you tell me. What does I don't that have say? A <laughs> I don't have a poster in the bodega. You're right. You're right. You could pretty easily. You just walk into the bodega and be like, hey, what's up? You hang this up and like, whatever. Yeah. You were the first one who asked. I encourage everyone to look up that article. It was eye-opening. Yes. And that's exactly what I'll be doing. To Eming's point, before we leave, this will be my my final kind of question and wrap up to make this point. I think Eming that a hyper and it wasn't even a hyper local discussion. I think we talked about it in general enough terms to try and illustrate one where change actually comes from. Right. There's only so many things you can do on a federal level. We talk a lot about uh, the president and what's happening in D.C. and completely fixate on it. But when you really look at it, it comes down to municipalities very often in states because that's how our country is structured. And I think New York City is a good place to take the temperature because while it is a very progressive place, we also have a lot of billionaires. Uh, you know, so this is in some ways like across, and we also have Staten Island, you know, uh, so we have in some ways a cross section in a way that a place like, you know, San Francisco does not. You know, San, Francisco, San Francisco is just like, boom, we're one thing, you know, there's a monolith there. Uh, and I, I also think it's important to see how these things actually play out, right? Like here we are, you know, one year later, um, thinking about George Floyd and Black Lives Matter it is now playing out in a district attorney race and in a mayoral race. And what do we end up with locally? You know, kind of one and then the other. We got like a Biden and maybe a Bernie kind of, you know what I mean? <laughs> Which not bad mathematically, you know, right. they kind of can't, they, they cancel out, it's you know, and you, end, and you end up with a Warren. <laughs> right. right. You put them together and get a Warren. So that's it. I, I just wanted to make it's that like a Lego set it, you're talking about. <laughs> no, I'm really confused. Yeah, sure. Why not? You take half the pieces from the um, Bernie <laughs> Lego set, and then you take half the pieces 
from the Biden Lego set. It probably wouldn't look that different, actually. It would just be a Lego set of like an old white man, basically. <laughs> one of them has hair and the other one doesn't. <laughs> All right. Um, Travis, I want to give you our final word here. Uh, I know that your optimism has been challenged. And maybe that's just because today is that's just how you feel. Um, but generally, if we're taking temperature, you and I have not checked in uh, in several months. Mm-hmm. And at the end of this conversation, where do you land in terms of where we are, where we should be, where we could be, and 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 where we are? I think where I find most of my optimism, where I find hope, um, is how bold and expressive historically oppressed communities are being about what we experience and what they want and what they're demanding, right? Um, so as people get more vocal, um, better or worse, um, that's sort of like where I find my joy these days of people who are like, nope, that's not okay. This is what's happening. This is not, you know, like that's, um, that brilliance, that boldness, I think, and a lot of that is happening. There's a lot of good work happening. Um, people doing work, um, everywhere. Um, and I think that's, I think that's great. I think, and I think they get it. Um, if I'm talking about like federal level politics, that's the stuff that like, you know, I'm like still hopeful, but like, I recognize the work that needs to be done for that world to change, but like people in the trenches and who are like calling all of this out and observing this and like sharing it with the world. Um, and young people, especially, they always sort of like give me reasons to be hopeful and optimistic. I agree. I I think often about, um, many, many years ago when I was first starting out as a reporter and my beat was the youth vote. And, um, there was the youth vote itself at the time was essentially defined by apathy. And this is a point I've made many, many times before, but in, let's say the 2000 election, which was the first national election that I covered, I was like, Ooh, I'm going to talk to young people and I'm going to find out what they care about and who they think should be president. And I, I just could not find a person who cared. I could not find a young person, uh, even who, when I was like, Oh, well, what, you know, political issues important to you. Even if you don't like these candidates, they were all just like, whatever, I, I don't care. It's all, you know, it's all a sham. It's all crooked or who cares, or it doesn't relate to me. Um, and just, you know, 20 years later, which I guess is kind of a long time. This is a huge, huge shift to the amount of young people who are politically astute and engaged and motivated. And Uh, curious. Yeah. Like globally curious. Yeah. And, and, you know, whatever, willing to learn and all all of that. It's, it's nice to see. I agree. That is, that is the source of optimism. And I suppose, you know, young people should be the source of optimism unless you're like really grouchy and then you're just like, what's wrong with these kids? (laughs) Why do all these girls wearing Air Force Ones again? What does that mean? (laughs) Everybody's got a motorized scooter. I don't like that. Uh, so yeah, I appreciate that. I love you too, Travis Johnson. It's always, always a pleasure. And it's great to see you. Thank you so much for coming on. Anytime. Uh, this was as always an illuminating conversation. Uh, thank you to our producer, Eming, who did keep us on task with that bell. 
I had to move on from Forrest Gump and Kitty Litter and the New York City mayoral election. So if you liked this episode, you have Eming to thank because she was pre-editing. She was hitting the bell so that later on. Oh, see, look, and now that's my cue to get out. <laughs> I want to thank Travis. I want to thank Eming, our producer. Uh, and I want to thank our listeners. Until next time, quest on, everybody. This episode of Quest on Media's Margin Call was produced in Richmond, California.